I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. As usual, there's a, an outline of my message on the back of your bulletin with a few spaces to be filled in. And it's rather brief, so it'll be easy this week for you to take it with you and share it with somebody. Somebody who just says, what in the world did the preacher talk about Sunday? And you're ready. It has been said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Jesus said something similar. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. And this series of sermons that we are experiencing now is entitled, How to Win Within. And the focus is on what is within us, our faith, our commitments, our attitudes. What is within us really matters. Our scripture lesson for today is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, the first 11 verses. And I doubt that there is a more beautiful description of Jesus anywhere in the Bible than what we're about to, to consider. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that, my friends, is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Whether you get your news by way of television or over your smartphone, 
You know that America today is a polarized place. I mean, I, I've seen people recently on television news who are so angry, you can almost see smoke coming out of their ears. And just a week ago at the National Prayer Breakfast, two of the top leaders in America could not manage to shake hands. This is at a National Prayer Breakfast. Now, at this difficult hour, perhaps we Southerners, with our reputation for hospitality and kindness, might be able to make a positive contribution. Remember our former governor, who responded to an insult by saying, well, bless his heart. <laughs> but we must admit that all is not sweetness and light, even here in dear old Dixie. Have you been in the rush hour traffic recently? My goodness, what a commentary. It's like a motorized roller derby. You got a driver who wants to switch lanes. He puts on a turn signal. Driver in the other lane speeds up as if to say, don't, don't you even think about cutting in here in front of me. And then the trucks with their flaps, many of them have the picture of Yosemite Sam on there with pistols drawn, shouting, back off, back off. And life is made more difficult by chronic complainers. Now, if you happen to be sitting beside a chronic complainer this morning, Please don't nudge that person. <laughs> no, 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 just say a silent prayer now or later for that one. Many people have forgotten, if they even knew in the first place, the secrets of building great relationships. They've forgotten it takes a bigger person to yield right away than to insist on his own way. And you know, a secure person can listen to another opinion even though he disagrees with it completely. He can listen to it respectfully. Ah, but an insecure person won't listen. They'll just use that time to prepare a rebuttal. That's the way an insecure person operates. Now, thankfully, there's still some folks who actually derive more pleasure from pleasing others than pleasing themselves. I'm going to be challenging us this morning to build and model great relationships because our task is to be God's healers, God's reconcilers, God's agents of interpersonal harmony. If, if society can be compared to a loaf of bread, we are supposed to be the leaven, the yeast, that makes the whole loaf wholesome and delicious. We are to, to be God's WD-40. No, that's not in the Bible. It's almost Bible. We are to be God's WD-40 to ease those squeaking, contentious relationships. Now, the ancient church out in Philippi had some of the same problems that America does. The church up there in northern Greece was perhaps Paul's favorite. It was, it was certainly the first one to give him financial aid, uh, and it was sort of his first love. Um, but because the church was composed of imperfect people like you and me, uh, there were problems there. And St. Paul noted some of them. He pointed to signs of grumbling and questioning in the church. 
Uh, he pleaded with two particular co-workers who had gotten angry with each other and had a falling out, and he pleaded with them to make up, be reconciled. And then he noted that some in the church were selfish, eager to win honors and recognition for themselves. St. Paul offered the Philippians and us certain guidelines for building great relationships. And these principles work inside and outside the home, in the workplace, and the church. First rule for great relationships, don't blow your own horn. Verse 3 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Be humble enough to stay out of the self-promotion business. It was a United States senator who said some time ago, those who travel the high road of humility in Washington, D.C. are not bothered by heavy traffic. And while Washington, D.C. may be, it may have more big egos than any other city in the world, the humility highway is not crowded even in Lexington and Columbia. If we are secure enough in God's love for us, we won't need to take ego trips. Generally, the people who tote their own, toot their own horns are, are insecure folks. And because they are a bit uncertain about their own worth, they are forever trying to persuade other people and themselves that they have value. We Christians shouldn't be like that because we know God's valuation on us. We are made in God's image. We are of such enormous value that the Son of God went to the cross and died there so that we could be forgiven and spend eternity with Him. We are His adopted children. If God thinks that highly of us, for goodness sakes, we shouldn't have to prove our worth to anybody, even ourselves. One time, the former heavyweight boxing champion, Joe Lewis, took a couple of his friends to this exclusive restaurant in New York City. And uh, the maitre d' did not recognize him. And uh, he asked Joe if they had a reservation. He said, no. He said, well, sir, uh, we're booked right now, but if you'll have a seat right over there, I'll get you a table just as soon as I can. Then the maitre d' walked away. One of Joe's friends said to him, Champ, if you tell him who you are, he'll have us a table in two minutes. And Joe Lewis said, If you gotta tell him who you are, you ain't. <laughs> and Joe Lewis was right on target. First rule for great relationships, don't toot your own horn. The second key, promote other people. Verse 3 we read, in humility, Consider others better than yourselves. This does not mean putting yourself down, belittling yourself. Rather, it's a, a matter of elevating other people. I call it Christian inflation. Christ teaches us to evaluate other people in a different way, different from the world. Not the way the world gauges people. We shouldn't evaluate people primarily on uh, is the person handsome or pretty or clever or talented? No. Through Christian lenses, we see persons, individuals, for whom Jesus died. No matter what their peculiarities or limitations or sins, something of Jesus resides in that person. Nobody is worthless. 
Everybody is priceless. One day there was a writer who traveled to an isolated monastery somewhere in Egypt because he had heard that there was a holy man there who was reputed to be a genius. So the holy man went there, met the holy man. <clears throat> the, the writer went and, and met this guy and, and said to him, ask him, what is it that qualifies somebody to be called a genius? And the holy man said, uh, a genius is one who can recognize. And the writer said, recognize what? The holy man said, a genius can recognize the butterfly in a caterpillar, the eagle in a tiny egg, and the angel inside a selfish human being. In other words, there's some good in all of us, the worst of us. And a Christian is busy bringing out the best in other people. Now, promoting other people should begin at home. And in this regard, I want to issue a very practical assignment. During this week, this coming week, I want you to say to every person who lives under your roof, one of the things I appreciate about you is, and then fill in the blanks with some honest, genuine compliment. One of the things I appreciate about you is, and if you live alone, call up a relative or a friend and make that kind of statement. The place to start promoting other people is where you live. The third key to great relationships, ask Jesus for a servant's attitude. In verse 5, we read, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. And the rest of those verses in the second chapter down to verse 11, one of the most beautiful pictures of servanthood you can find in the whole Bible. Some years ago, I caught a flight from Memphis to Charlotte, North Carolina, to conduct a a funeral in upstate South Carolina for a little boy. I had known the family for years. And uh, after the funeral, I remained a while to try to comfort the grieving parents. And then I got in my rental car, headed back to the Charlotte airport. What I didn't know was that this family had contacted the airlines and had upgraded my ticket to first class. I had never been in first class before. I had passed through, but I had never been there. And this uh, flight attendant took my coat, hung it in a little closet. Beforehand, I'd folded it up, put it in the overhead bin, and hoped nobody would put a suitcase on top of it. And then the flight attendant offered me a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal. The chair I was in was so much larger than I was accustomed to and comfortable. Flight attendant handed me a pillow for my head. And then the flight attendant gave me this menu inviting me to select various food items or beverages. I glanced over my shoulder at the poor folks back in the coach class who were making do on peanuts and uh, Cokes. And when I got off that flight in Memphis, I had a disturbing thought. And it was this, Bill, 
Do you enjoy being served a lot? Don't you? And then the second question was, do you enjoy being served more than serving? Because I knew that it was an important truth that the closer one gets to Jesus, the more one loves to serve. Now that is different from our culture. The American culture is not that. We're countercultural all the way on this. You know, what the, you know what the truth out there in the street is. Uh, the common attitude is be assertive. You gotta stand up for yourself. Be number one. Do unto others before they have a chance to do to you. Look out for yourself. That's the common wisdom. But Jesus said, he who would be greatest among you must be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself for my sake will be exalted. I've told you before that I grew up with a little brown Cokesbury hymnal. My faith as a child was shaped by some of those wonderful songs. And there's a song in, in there entitled Others. And the first stanza has these words, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live like thee. Tony Campalo is a well-known teacher, writer, and in one of his books, he tells about a lady named Nancy whom he met in Philadelphia. She was in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the waist down. And she had this unusual ministry going. Periodically, she would put in a major newspaper in Philadelphia the following ad. If you're lonely or have a problem, call me. I'm in a wheelchair and seldom get out. We can share our problems with each other. Just call. I'd love to talk. She gets about 30 calls per week, spends so much of her time on the phone counseling, helping, encouraging, hurting, depressed people. Tony asked her, how did you come to be paralyzed? And she said, I tried to commit suicide. She said, some years ago, I was living alone. I had no friends. I hated my job. I was constantly depressed, so I decided to end it all. She said, I jumped out of my apartment window expecting to die, but instead I ended up in the hospital, paralyzed from the waist down. And she said, the second night in the hospital, Jesus appeared to me in a vision, and he said to me, Nancy, up to this point in your life, You've had a healthy body, but a crippled spirit. From now on, you're going to have a healthy spirit, but a crippled body. And Nancy said at that moment, right then and there, she gave her heart to Christ. And she said the miracle was immediately the fixation was taken off myself, and I wanted to serve other people. And then she prayed, said, Lord, how can I serve others with all my limitations? And God gave her the idea about putting the ad in the newspaper. And the rest, of course, is a beautiful story of service.
servanthood. That's what we should be about, and it should begin at home. And that starts with the institution of marriage. Dear friends, you know that the institution of marriage is under attack in America from all sides. The, inspired by Satan, the devil hates the institution of marriage. And so it's under attack. Now, you know the devil is a great salesman, and he's a liar. But he whispers this lie into the ears of husbands and wives in America. You know what? If you could change your partner in just three or four ways, your marriage and home would be a whole lot better. So why don't you try? And you know what that leads to? The attempt by one spouse to control or manage or manipulate the other instead of loving and serving. And that's always destructive. Now, St. Paul gave us the secret of great and happy marriages. This is what he wrote. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's God's job to fix your spouse, not yours. Your job is to love and serve. And when husbands and wives are dedicated to loving and serving rather than controlling and manipulating, their relationship is the most beautiful and fulfilling on earth. That does not mean that you have to put up with abuse if that's what's in your home. If abuse is there, you got a duty to remove yourself and your children from that situation. But unless abuse is happening, your task is to love and serve that spouse. It's God's job to fix your spouse. It's your job to love and serve. Suppose a husband and wife are riding down the highway listening to the radio. An old song comes on the radio. It was written by Neil Diamond and made popular by Barbara Streisand. It is entitled, You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. Now, husbands, when your wife hears that, what's she thinking? When's the last time he brought me flowers? So, if you want to be a servant, flowers are a pretty good place to start. But it shouldn't end there. Is there a task at your house that your wife routinely does and you never do? What if you took on that task for a couple of weeks? I'm not talking about an easy one. Pick out a task that's difficult, maybe distasteful. If you want to be a servant, take it on. Now, wives, if you've been married to the guy for 90 days or more, you could sit down and in 15 minutes write out a list of five ways to make him happy. I mean, husbands are not complicated. They're embarrassingly simple. This is not rocket science. And if you want to be a servant, why? Pick out one of those five and go for it. Now, service to family includes aging parents. My parents are in heaven now, and I miss them. And when I think back to our times together, some of the most prominent memories are during that last year 
that they were here with us and the time we spent together. It's a comfort to me to remember those times because, you know, within the family, love is spelled T-I-M-E. Yes. So if you've got an elderly parent, could you take him or her out to dinner? If they are homebound, could you bring the food in and spend an hour or so? You see, the time spent will be worth so much more than the food. Our servanthood should start at home, but not in there. The Bible has a preference, a tilt, toward the poor and the disadvantaged. And I'm so proud of Mount Horeb Church for the tremendous outreach to the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting, whether it be coats for those school children during the winter or help for the addicted or building homes for the homeless. This church has a huge heart. The late great Mother Teresa used to say that Jesus often comes to us disguised as a poor person. Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it under one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. No one in the last century has exemplified Christian service better or more clearly than Mother Teresa. And one day she was criticized, believe it or not, even Mother Teresa was criticized. The critic said to her, you're forever giving away things to people. You give fish to people. You should be teaching them to fish instead. And Mother Teresa said, look, the people we're giving fish to are so weak and so sick, they can't even stand up straight, much less fish. But Mother Teresa smiled and said, I'll tell you what, once we give them fish and medical care and loving care and get them strong enough, we'll turn them over to you and you can teach them to fish. She said, you know, what we can do, maybe you can't do. But what you can do, maybe we can't do. But if we work together, we may do something beautiful for God. Mother Teresa was just telling all of us Christians to serve however and whenever we can. Mount Horeb offers so many opportunities to be in service to those people who are Jesus in disguise. Have you volunteered for one of those ministries? Jesus has taught us the secrets of great relationships. Don't blow your own horn. Promote other persons and ask Jesus for a servant's attitude. If we dare to live by those principles, our example may be contagious. It could change the culture. People may conclude that we have been with Jesus and they may invite this same Jesus to change their hearts just as he has changed ours. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.